Welcome back to the Namaste Teach podcast. This is Jen. Hi, everyone. This is Tisha. Wow, Jen, it's been like so long since we recorded together. It seems like so much has happened has happened since we recorded our last episode together, but it feels really good to be back. And we're both excited about our second season of Namaste Teach. Absolutely. I know. I feel like this school year just continues to throw us curveballs. And I've been needing to tap into that relentless self-care that we so often talk about. And of course, I notice a huge difference when I don't. Like this week, I missed my practice a couple of days and it just felt like everything felt a little bit less, you know, a little bit crazier, a little bit more chaotic. So with so much going on in our country, in our world and in our classrooms, the need to pause and really to listen to our own voice has become so critical for all of us. Yes, that is exactly true. I mean, you couldn't have said it any better, but we are once again, so excited about being back with you guys and connecting with our audience. And uh, this is the first episode of our new season where we have a guest and I am beyond excited. I, I can't hold it anymore. I was so looking forward to this episode and excited about our first guest who is a dear, dear, dear friend of mine. We met almost four years ago at Omega Institute's Transformative Educational Leadership Program or TEL back in 2018. And she is a transformative educational activist. She's a motivational speaker. She's a certified meditation instructor, a PhD student. She's superwoman too, by the way. And she is also a critically contemplative scholar. I could go on and on, but hey, Jen, let's just jump right into our episode. Her name is Rosalind Duff. Awesome. I totally agree. Well, welcome to the Namaste Teach podcast, Roz. It really is such an honor to chat with you. And it was so nice to get to talk to you a little bit before we started recording. Um, can you start off by telling us a little bit about your own educational journey? What brought you to become an educator? Yes, Jen, um, I'll, I'll start with that and then also say it's just an honor to be here with both of you all, um, Jen and Tisha. Um, this work is so amazing that you're doing and inspiring educators to um, take time to take care of themselves. So I would say my journey into education uh, really began before I was born. Uh, my mother um, was a computer teacher on Fort Knox and at a middle school. And she was pregnant with me at the time. And so I often like to say I was born into education because honestly I, I was. And uh, my family, my sister, my mother, my father have all um, been educators in some capacity. And so uh, I didn't know really until um, I started to sub uh, be a substitute teacher that education was my calling. And so I am a deeply spiritual uh, woman and I just listened to that, that calling that the, the spirit had uh, for my life through children, through uh, other educators. And um, I will say now I went into teaching reluctantly, but now that I'm about 13 years in I couldn't have imagined what my life would be like without teaching. And um, it's been a wild journey. So that's, that's pretty much it. 
Thank you so much, Ross, for sharing that story and how you came to education. Um, it's just in you, it's, it's in your blood. Um, and it's beautiful the way your journey brought you to where you are now. I'd like to ask you, uh, Roz, what is the best advice that you have for pre-service teachers or teachers who are new to the teaching profession? Yeah, Tish, this is a great question. You know, my work now uh, is supporting pre-service teachers and experienced educators um, through a teacher residency um, in Atlanta, Georgia. And I think the best advice that I could give to pre-service teachers um, is maybe the same advice that I would give to myself or to veteran educators, um, especially right now where we are in history is to first know who you are and take care of yourself. Um, we often think as educators, we give, 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 and we wanna give out of our heart and soul. Um, and we oftentimes do that not knowing that, that, that giving could burn us out over time. And so we wanna be sustained in this work and specifically to pre-service teachers, encouraging them to stay in the profession. Um, I would encourage them to find a practice, find a contemplative practice that resonates with them um, culturally and stick with it and grow it and also teach through it. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think that that's a perfect segue to our next question because I want to tap into your wealth of knowledge about you know, contemplative practices and practices you used and how you come about finding your own practice. But I love what you, so much what you said about knowing who you are because I find that that's so critical to get to the root and to like, I think for newer teachers or even just teachers in different points of the journey, it's that like, authenticity and trying to find who you are as a teacher and not like what was modeled for you or not following the types of teachers that you had, but bringing your whole self in an integrated way. I think that's a really important piece of this teaching journey and puzzle and sustainability is huge because we already know, and we've talked about this in previous episodes, that the teacher burnout rate is just exorbitantly high. And especially in this current climate, it's exhausting and teachers are going above and beyond anything that they ever thought possible in this current climate. So um, that brings me to the question of what are some personal habits and practices that you have to serve your own social emotional well-being? And then how do you suggest that our listeners go about creating their own, their own practice that resonates for them? Yeah, Jen, I agree with you. Um, one, one practice that I have is really um, getting to know those educators, especially uh, Black women or African-American educators that came before me that have done this work, often uh, name them as my ancestors. Uh, one woman, Audre Lorde, uh, is always in my mind. Um, she talked about uh, self-care not being um, self-indulgence, but being a, uh, she talks about radical self-care and how it is a political act. Um, I think about the NAP ministry um, I think about Dr. Bettina Love, who was one of my uh, greatest mentors, um, who talks about theory and how theory is our North Star. So one of my practices that keeps me grounded is reading um, 
the wisdom and the, the research of these women and not only women, but other African-Americans because I have to stay grounded in my culture. Um, not that anybody else's culture is not worth uh, reading and learning from, um, but a part of being sustained socially and emotionally is understanding how oppression operates um, and also understanding what my ancestors did in order to become resilient um, and change the system. Um, I believe Dr. Love called, uh, talks about it as um, abolishing um, and being an abolitionist teacher. So um, that's one thing that I do. And then of course I have to have um, other ways to sustain myself. So I love drinking tea, Tisha knows that we talk about that uh very often um, yes the teas that we love you know i'm sharing a cup of tea with you all virtually right now um and then of course i am a meditation teacher and i understand the importance of practicing before i get in front of anybody to teach and my meditation practice looks like sitting it looks like walking it looks like eating mindfully, singing, dancing, cooking. Um, I incorporate mindfulness and meditation, even in activism. Um, activism in itself is a contemplative practice. And my activism is my research. It is my teaching. It's my pedagogy. Um, and so these are the things that I do to stay uh, socially and emotionally well and then love on my people love on my family um check in with people write do art you know tisha's art inspires me um so those are the things thank you so much ross for bringing all of that to the forefront what you said about the people that came before us uh i often think about the educators we all can look back to our mentors i look back to the teachers that came before me and people like Marva Collins stand out for me as one of the people that I look up to and some of my mentors also through uh, my educational journey. It's so important to look back and, and see where we came from and where we are now and what keeps us grounded and supported is, is remembering you know, the history of, of all of it and who we are. So that kind of brings me to the next question. I want to segue a little bit. And Roz, when you were talking, I just thought about how the work that you do and the work that we all do as educators can have an impact on people in our immediate circle. But some of us have had have the opportunity to teach internationally as you have and impact others on a global scale with other cultures and in other countries. So I know that you taught internationally. Can you tell our listeners about your experiences teaching in other countries and with other cultures? Most certainly, I would love to talk about that because um, that connects to what I was saying about being culturally grounded um, through my own educational experiences. I, K through 12, didn't see anything that really resonated with me on a deep level um, that connected me with, you know, what I would consider um, excellence in my culture. 
And um, it wasn't until I attended uh, University of Louisville and started to take courses in Pan-African studies that I got interested in uh, my culture on a deep level and decided I wanted to travel abroad. And my first opportunity actually took me to China um, where I taught for, uh, during a summer program, um, I was one of three teachers and we had 40 students each um, in the hot heat of Southeast China. Think about Florida here, that's where I was on the map um, in China. And that experience, I went there and I just, I taught them me. Like I, I am the curriculum and content and I learned who they uh, were and, and their culture and customs. And I loved it so much that I returned the following summer and taught in an, another location um, in the summer and, and traveled and it was an amazing experience. And, but what I brought from that and learned is that African and African-American culture uh, is actually connected to, in many different ways, Asian um, culture. And if I had a, you know more time, I'd go deeper into that. But I would say it made me even more interested to go to Africa and I had the opportunity to go on a mission trip uh, to Uganda with my church, but I went as an educator and I uh, taught teachers while I was there and connected with the students um, and to feel a sense of connectedness. Um, I taught at a school um, that's called Kendezi and Kendezi is a Bantu proverb that means it takes a village to raise a child. And I felt that while I was there. And at the same time, it, it was almost like it pushed me back to do the work here. And then I also had the opportunity to teach and not teach, sorry, to speak on a teaching panel in India uh, with Emory University's C uh, learning, C meaning social, emotional, ethical learning curriculum um, that I also helped to pilot at my school. Wow, Roz, you've had such a diverse just trajectory of your education and your whole journey and just the cultural awareness piece, I think, is really critical. And especially the cultural awareness as it pertains to you and your own culture and the connections that you made with your own heritage and ancestry, because um, I've taught English as a second language and I've worked with different cultures but not so much that it was rooted in my own background. So I find that that piece is really important and informs a lot of the work that you've done. I think that's so awesome. I also love what you said about Dr. Love. I'm also a big fan of Dr. Love and the abolitionist teaching. And I've mentioned this to listeners before, but at my school, we have an anti-racist book study where we're um, examining a multitude of books and webcasts and um, podcasts and webinars and just a whole bunch of different teachers and Dr. Love was one of the teachers that we highlighted. We loved so much her PBS um, special that she did on anti-racist teaching. So that brings me to a question about books that you might recommend because I imagine that your professional and personal development library is pretty extensive and I want to know what are some of the best books that you've read and personally and professionally and why and specifically if you could help us like lens for us some of the abolitionist teaching or cultural responsive teaching anti-racist teaching books that promote activism or cultural awareness because I think that there's a 
a hunger for that right now. And you are someone that I would consider a guru and I'd love to hear your feedback on that. Oh yes, my library is beginning to be a very extensive because I'm in school and I'm, uh, I have so many books. I don't have enough time to read all of them um, because I'm also responsible for reading research. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I would definitely say Dr. Love's book, We Want to Do More Than Survive is uh, a book right now that um, any educator at any point in their career um, needs to pick up and read and understand because I feel like um, there is a, a integration that's happening in education and integration may not be the right term for it, um, but this coming together of the idea of equity, educational equity and social emotional learning. And Dr. Love presents that um, towards the end of her book. I would say she's uh, very much anti-racist um, pedagogy, her abolitionist uh, teaching pedagogy. Um, but there's a, like I was saying, towards the end, she starts to talk more about anti-racist or radical self-care. And so that book has been, uh, a part of my framework since I, I received it. Another book that I would say that uh, teachers need to be um, aware of is Cultivating Genius. It's an equity framework for culturally and historically responsive uh, teaching by Dr. Godi Muhammad, who is a professor at Georgia State uh, University. And in it, she has given so much, um, so much energy and light to showing us how you can take any lesson and make it culturally responsive and historically uh, centered for uh, students of color, black students. Um, and this also this idea that students come with information and knowledge and they have the genius within them. And if they're, if they're given the opportunity to see themselves and their greatness in their uh, literature, not even literature, but math, science, and it, in all subject areas, and she lays it out for, for us, um, we can help to cultivate the genius of, of our students and also our teachers. Um, and so those are two books that I would say professionally, um, you should have your, your eye on. And then personally, right now, I'm getting deeper into uh, James, the work of James Baldwin. And I will say at first I was, uh, a, I had a hesitancy uh, to read James Baldwin because I knew that when I read it, I would have to reckon with some things within myself um, because he's so raw. And as a young up and coming scholar, writing is so important to me and the way that he writes is so uh, real. And I just, I've, I've fallen in love with it. And so right now I'm actually reading <clears throat> a book about 
not about his life, but about his mindset. Um, and it's called Begin Again. And I heard, I heard about it on NPR and was just fascinated with the ways that the author is able to take what Baldwin was saying, you know, 30, 40 years ago and shape our understanding of how racism and oppression operate in all areas of our, of our life. Um, and so his, uh, the author's name is Eddie Glaude Jr. Um, and it's called Begin Again, James Baldwin's America. Um, and it's urgent lessons for our own. Um, and then I'll just end by saying I love poetry. I love uh, Nikki Giovanni. I love Dr. Maya Angelou, um, those women's words, the way they use them. I think personally, um, you have to find the genre uh, of books. Oh, also uh, Octavia Butler, Black futurist, um, amazing uh, writer um, who's no longer with us, um, really, really fascinates me the way that she was also able to write about this time back in the 90s. Um, I'm reading Parable of the Sower um, right now, and it's set in 2024. And I don't want to give away the book, but it's eerily, oddly, like what's going on like right now. Um, so those are some books, uh, and authors more, more importantly, I think the authors, um, are, that are informing the work that I do. Thank you so much, Roz. Yes, I, I can totally relate to what you were saying as you were talking about Baldwin and the writers that were kind of like afraid of, because we know that they're going to bring out things in us and we're going to have to face ourselves and their work. I felt like that about Toni Morrison's work for a long time and it took me years before I delved into her work but uh, the Eddie Glaude book is is one to get definitely and all the books that you mentioned uh, are on the list for me too. I know as educators we love books and we have like a billion books that we have to read but we just love the knowledge and can't get enough of it so thank you so much for sharing your list and We'll share those with our, our listeners and put them in our show notes as well. Uh, as we come, wow, we could talk like forever. Uh, Roz is amazing and fascinating and offers so much knowledge and, and wisdom that we could use. And we just enjoyed having her, but we're coming to the close of this episode. And as we come to the close, Roz, can you offer our listeners any parting thoughts or words of encouragement as we continue to navigate this new world? I like to say that this opportunity that we're in right now with the pandemic, uh, the, the racial awakening in this country and shedding light on inequities that we knew existed way before 2020 and all of this uh, systemic racism, we have the opportunity as educators to transform our educational system and we cannot go back to normal. We don't want to go back to normal or the way things were because so many people were left out of that normal. 
So can you offer our listeners new challenges that we can look toward as we transform our educational system and do, I like to say, we're going to do school teaching and learning differently in the coming years? I think the greatest challenge that we have that we're facing in this time is the challenge of taking off our mask. And uh, that's such a interesting metaphor because right now we're, as we're out socially, we're to have not one, but two masks on um, to stay safe. But I'm speaking, I believe metaphorically about taking off the mask um, and getting to know who we, as an individual, what hurts us, what heals us, we really have got to take this time that we've been given. And I know there's so much that's pulling our attention in so many different ways, but getting still, sitting still, I'm, I'm reminded in this moment of Howard Thurman, um, the great uh, mystic who was a mentor to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And his book, he has a book called Meditations of the Heart and he talks about stillness. And that's sometimes the hardest thing to do when you're like, I have so much to do. But I wanna encourage you that if you wanna get those things done, you first have to take care of yourself. Stress, unfortunately, can harm us in ways that we can't even imagine and it's not worth it. So that's my words of encouragement is that we would take off our mask metaphorically and get with ourselves, reckon with ourselves around race and racism and white supremacy and our history in this country. And don't do this equity work because it is the trend, but do it because it is coming from within yeah. Wow, Roz. I feel like every time you speak is like a mic drop moment. So um, you just dropped the mic a few times over there. Um, thank you so much for being here. This is just such a rich episode, one that I really don't want to end. And one that I know that I will personally reference when I want to get down to what matters, how to frame an educational practice in intention, how to get real, how to reckon with yourself, how to find your North Star, I love so much our conversation around knowing ourselves, tapping into cultural awareness, finding a practice that will sustain us to do this work, doing this work because it comes from within, not because it's trendy, not because it's the right thing to do, quote unquote, but because it's, it's work that speaks to our soul. I love and appreciate all of your book recommendations. I'm such a book nerd. I love the poetry. I love like the um, cultural lensing. Like I have to go back and listen a couple times and get some of your titles. We'll put them in the show notes for everybody. Um, I loved your authenticity, your vulnerability, just all of it. So such a great way to spend some time together and to share you with our Namas Teach audience. And Roz, if we want to continue to connect with you, where can we find you? Yes, you can definitely find me on Facebook and I'm also on Instagram, uh, Rosalind Duff. Um, and my name will be spelled in the, the notes as well. So 
you can you can hit me up there. I'd love to reach out, talk to people um, and see how I can support. And I just want to say thank you, Jen and Tisha, for the work that you're, you're doing, this audience. Um, it takes a village. And so I appreciate you so much for having thank me. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much, Roz. And you're, you're welcome anytime to come hang out with us and just, just chat and talk. We appreciate Absolutely. you. Absolutely. And everybody out there, stay well, stay safe. Remember your North Star. Practice that relentless self-care and just keep on listening to this mic drop worthy episode. Talk to you guys soon. Thank you.